You may have heard of fetal non-stress tests, but what is it? How are they performed, and under what circumstances are they recommended? I'm Dr. Jan Penvozy, and today we're discussing fetal non-stress tests in pregnancy. This is Preggy Pals. Um, is that a plus sign? Pink or blue? Hospital or home birth? What type of food should I be eating? I think I just peed myself. I'm pregnant. And I have to exercise? What pregnancy glow? Wait, was that a contraction? (laughs) Gotta make these pants fit! I've got kinkles! What do you mean there's more than one? You've got the symptoms, and now you've got the support you need for a happy nine months. This is Preggy Pals, your pregnancy, your way. Welcome to Preggy Pals, broadcasting from the Birth Education Center of San Diego. Preggy Pals is your online, on-the-go support group for expecting parents and those hoping to become pregnant. I'm your host, Stephanie Glover. Thanks to all of our loyal listeners who have joined the Preggy Pals Club. Our members get special episodes, bonus content after each new show, plus special giveaways and discounts. See our website for more information. Another way for you to stay connected is by downloading our free Preggy Pals app, available in the Android, iTunes, and Windows Marketplace. Sunny, our producer, is now going to give us some information about the virtual panelist program. Sure. Okay, so if you aren't here in studio with us, but you'd still like to participate in the conversation, there's a couple different ways you can do it. You can like our Preggy Pals Facebook page. You can also follow us on Twitter. And we're going to be posting some questions that we're asking our panelists here in studio and just sharing some information about non-stress tests and what we're learning today. It's a great way if you want to ask our experts some questions. So I'll go ahead and post some stuff out there and uh, feel free to comment as we go along. Thank you. So we're going to go around the table and introduce the panelists. Um, So go ahead, Amy. Hi, my name is Amy Dugan. I am 33 years old. I am currently a a homeschool and stay-at-home mom, so that is my occupation, and I have two little girls, one and a half and five and a half, and uh, I had them both vaginally, praise the Lord, because I did not want to deal with the C-section, so (laughs) that was good. (laughs) Hi, I'm Kristen Stratton. I'm a birth and postpartum doula and proud mom of three, ages five, three, and one, and I did have C-sections with my lovelies, (laughs) Um, and um, I'm here to talk about my experience with non-stress tests. Great, thank you. And you guys heard from me, but I'm Sunny. I'm producing today's show. I'm also the owner of New Mommy Media, which produces uh, Preggy Pals, as well as Twin Talks, the boob group, and I'm missing one. Parent Savers. (laughs) Um, Okay, and I have four kids of my own. My oldest is four, and I've got a two-year-old and then twins who will turn one year next week. Great, thank you. And I'm Stephanie. I'm the host of Preggy Pals. I'm 32. I've got two little girls, three and 15 months. Um, my first was born C-section, my second VBAC. And I don't have personal experience with non-stress tests, so I'm really excited to learn more. Okay, so before we start today's show, we have an interesting pregnancy headline that we thought we would share with you guys. And this headline says, Baby successfully born via womb transplant. Will more follow? And the idea is, is that there is a mother um, who at 15 found out she did not have a womb, and she enrolled in a trial and basically received a uterus that had been donated by a 61-year-old woman. That transplant was a success and she has uh, welcomed it says they welcome their first child so the baby's been born everything's to you know everything seems to be going really well um, and they're kind of touting this as an option for women with infertility issues so I wanted to kind of throw this out to you ladies to see 
what do you think about this? Is this kind of an unbelievable thing? Have you heard about that? Did you guys hear about this article before? Any ideas? I think it's amazing. (laughs) Goes to show the advances of science and really how they can affect families. Uh, Kristen, you had a a good point, though, that I don't think the article touched on. Oh, I was curious as to how much of her reproductive organ she was born with, whether or not she had um, a egg donor as well if she had her own fallopian tubes and ovaries um, or if that was also something that she received from a donor. Right. And I think I did see this article floating on. I was trying to to find it on my phone as well um, because I think there was one. That I, I do think that the baby was born via C-section and I want to say maybe around 36 weeks now that I'm jogging my memory. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't know the actual um, details of the labor. But fascinating <laughs> yeah if, if she had a transplant she would need a c- cesarean section oh, just sure. because of risk of rupture of the scar lines yeah. mm. oh interesting yeah it's amazing kind of what they can do now with all of this i know um my husband and i originally struggled we had some infertility problems in the beginning and they did all the tests and everything and found that it was probably just a timing issue with us because they couldn't fi- find anything wrong with us but i remember going through that whole process of thinking well what if we can't have our own, you know, how far would I go? And to know, you know, there's a lot of um, couples out there that are struggling with infertility. And maybe this is a, a you know, show some signs of being an option, you Definitely. know, for in the future. So Definitely. Um, that's nice. Today, we're learning all about fetal non-stress tests in pregnancy. Joining us here in the studio today is Dr. Jan Penvosi, a board-certified obstetrician affiliated with Tri-City Medical Center. Dr. Penvosi has been practicing medicine for eight years and has delivered over 600 babies. Welcome to Preggy Pals. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, thanks very much for having me here today. And so before we get started, tell us a little bit about your family. Are you a mother? I am. I'm also a mother. I'm a mother of three, my oldest daughter is 15 and then I have a 10 year old daughter and a six year old wild child son that <laughs> I was lucky to get just before my menopause started happening so <laughs> well awesome so you can comment then as a mom and as a doctor which absolutely, is perfect absolutely <laughs> definitely deliveries are interesting for each each <laughs> yeah. child you have they can certainly differ can't they yeah <laughs> now um Dr. Pembevisi what is a fetal non-stress test so a fetal non-stress test is a way of evaluating the well-being of a baby in utero and um, it can be done before the baby's delivered during the delivery process um, I think today we're focusing more on before the baby's delivered um, basically uh, we you know all mom know about those monitors we put on your belly but it's a monitor that sends sound waves to the baby's heart to see the actual heartbeat of the baby it's a way to transcribe that onto a piece of paper and look for things about the baby's heart rate and heartbeat that are reassuring or non-reassuring Okay. And so what does non-stress within like the title of the test indicate? So originally, we, one way we would test babies was actually a contraction stress test. And we wanted, and you'd have to induce contractions to see how the babies handled contractions in a mom that may or may not need to be delivered. So you wanted to do something less invasive um, and get similar or equal, you know, type results. So we found a way of just monitoring the heartbeat, and and then there's guidelines for what that means when the baby's not stressed. Interesting. When did they um, stop doing the stress test? Because I do actually remember hearing about stress tests, and then all of a sudden I remember hearing about non-stress tests and not really understanding the difference. <laughs> I honestly don't know the year yeah. of that, but I can tell you, for as long as I've been in practice, okay. I've never seen a contraction test uh, used. However, it's definitely on all of our tests, and it's it's a known way to evaluate um, a baby, but we don't actually go out of our way to do it 
Yeah. Would it be like inducing labor, essentially? or in, Well, no, it's inducing contractions. Right. Sometimes people get that confused. Okay. And actual, like, contractions don't always lead to labor. Right. Um, so you would induce contractions. Of course, if there was something going on, sometimes the body might kick <laughs> into labor because that that's uh, sometimes a response of dealing with issues. Um, so, you know, when I have been in labor, they kind of do the same stuff where they hook up kind of the belts to you and yes. they monitor that. So would that be considered a stress? T- I mean, it may be oh, natural yeah. that your body is contracting, but would that be an example of a stress test? Like a contraction? Yeah. St- if yes. you're naturally well, having Actually, them. if you're naturally having it, it is yeah. it is in some ways a contraction stress test. Right. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So at what point in pregnancy are NST- NSTs or, you know, non-stress tests, if I if I use the abbreviation, um, wh- at what point in pregnancy are they typically performed? So you can start performing them approximately 26 to 28 weeks of pregnancy when the baby's neurologic development and, and physical cardiac development are advanced enough that you can interpret it. Okay, so before it wouldn't be as accurate then? It, it, yeah, it doesn't mean the same thing before. Okay. Yeah. Now, for panelists, did you guys have non-stress tests in your pregnancies? Yeah, I did. I had three, two with my first and then one with my second. My babies, they don't want to leave, so. <laughs> <laughs> They're nice and warm. Yeah. Why would they <laughs> so leave? Comfortable. So did you have them later on in your pregnancy then? Yeah, for both of them. Um, I had one on the due date for each of them, and then with my first one, they said, oh, your amniotic fluid's a little low. Um, go home, drink some water, relax, come in tomorrow, we'll measure again, and everything was good. So they didn't have to induce the next day, luckily, and I waited another week. I had um, them both at 41 weeks. Okay. So. How about you, Kristen? Um, yes, I had them with my first um, multiple times. I had hyperemesis during my entire pregnancy with my first two children. And refresh us, what does that mean? Um, basically means that I could not stop vomiting. Um, it's just very... I guess the layman's way to describe it would be very severe morning sickness, but it's really not morning sickness. Um, so that involved a lot of IV hydration, a lot of trips to the ER, um, Zofran and other sorts of anti-nausea medicines to help me carry to term. Um, so a few times during my pregnancy, I had preterm labor because I was so dehydrated. So that involved me staying under observation at the hospital and getting the non-stress test done. And how about... Uh, how far along were you in that? Um, definitely 30 weeks with my first. And I think I had it again with my second at about 36 weeks because I, again, had preterm labor because of severe dehydration. Um, and then with my third, I had them on a uh, bi- or twice a week um, because I was very, very pregnant. I was almost 10 months pregnant. So, <laughs> oh my goodness. So that was, that was more just to make sure everyone was happy and healthy in there and everyone was. So, <laughs> And Sunny, how about you? Yeah. So I had them a couple times. I had them, my second child, I had gestational diabetes with him. And so I can't remember what week we started. I was trying to figure that out, but it was later in the pregnancy. And that was routine, you know, twice a week, went in Tuesdays, Thursdays. They're very specific about what times you go. And if I had to cancel it, like they needed to see me right away. I just remember it being very specific. Let's put it that way. 
when I was pregnant with the twins, they told me, again, it was going to have to be a routine thing. But I ended up, you know, I went, I think I only had one appointment, but it was supposed to be, again, like a, a Tuesday, Thursday or Monday, Wednesday thing. Something was supposed to be routine. Um, they started it at 34 weeks with me, but I went into labor at 35 weeks. So... Yay, I got out of it. (laughs) Oh, darn. (laughs) Well, great. And so, I mean, we can see the range of post-date or, you know, approaching due date, low amniotic fluid, preterm labor, gestational diabetes, multiples. What are some other reasons for non-stress tests? Uh, one, one example would be like decreased fetal movement if the mom's just really not appreciating her typical pattern of movement for the baby. That's one reason. There are some maternal illnesses, um, somebody with chronic hypertension or autoimmune disorders. Those are other reasons um, we might do it. Somebody who has a history of a fetal loss with their last pregnancy, usually will initiate the testing. And, you know, there may or may not be good studies on exactly when to initiate the testing, but typically in my practice what we've done is um, a week or two before the loss or a month, you know, depending on how traumatic everything was. So at least, you know, and if it was a term loss, we'll pick arbitrarily like 36 weeks or something to really, you know, bump up the monitoring, including non-stress tests and other forms of testing. Right. And so if you're kind of looking later on to if they've had loss before, then if you would need to deliver, you'd have a better outcome by waiting kind of. Right. And plus, yeah. And plus you can, you know, just reassure the mom. So sometimes it's, it's more for reassurance than to actually tell us exactly what's going on, but it's, it's a way that we as physicians and patients reassure ourselves. Kind of go into it with the less fear, maybe, or less anxiety. Right, right, right. Okay. And are there risks associated with this type of test to mom or baby? Not really. It's it's basically sound waves that we're reflecting off the baby's heart. Um, I know some people uh, fear that their baby's getting radiation from it, but it's it's truly not radiation. It's not harmful. It's just sound waves. Okay. So. And then how does the test actually detect the fetal distress or maybe other problems? So what are you looking for when you're doing this test? So what you're looking for is the variability of the heart rate. So we don't want to see a straight line. We want to see little bumps and humps going up and down. And then we're looking for large accelerations for a period of time, you know, usually twice within the 20 to 30 minute period um, that that you have for guidelines. So you're looking for accelerations of the fetal heart rate. You're looking for a good beat to beat you know, non-specifically variability, and you're looking for not having decelerations. Okay. So if you have a deceleration, that warrants further testing. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And are you, um, I think I read there's an association with watching kind of baby's movements and how the heart right. beats so that's those movements. So that's or? further testing by a biophysical profile, oh, okay. which the non-stress test can be part of. Oh, okay. We can look at the fluid around the baby. We can look at the um, activity of the baby, both finer movements and gross body movements. And we look for, at certain gestational ages, we can look for practice breathing movements in a baby. When we come back, we'll discuss more about fetal non-stress tests, including why are they performed. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Today, we're discussing fetal non-stress tests in pregnancy. Dr. Jan Penvosi is our expert. Where are uh, non-stress tests performed? Are they in the OB office, in the hospital? 
Um, non-stress tests can be perform, performed um, in the office or the hospital okay. or both. Sometimes <laughs> we, you know, de- depending on the line of patients we have waiting for their non-stress test in the office, depending on the results we get, we may then send them to the hospital for further non-stress testing. Some offices don't have that facility, so they will just send their patients directly to the hospital or for people with twins, like we talked about earlier, or growth restriction, they're going to be on a regular monitoring. They can either have that scheduled at the office or the hospital. And sometimes they're following with a high-risk OB specialist, and they may do it there as well as your own office. So, And who would perform it? Does the OB do it or a nurse? Or? So basically the nurses are trained to hook the patients up to the monitor, and they hook them up to both the contraction monitor and um, the fetal heart rate monitor. And then the physicians or the uh, nurse practitioners or the nurse midwives in the office can interpret the results and decide how to progress, whether we want to further monitor or send on for more monitoring or do different monitoring. Okay. And so if a mama is told, okay, you need to have a non-stress test, can you walk us through what she should expect from you know the time she gets into the office or, or even if there's anything she needs to know ahead of time to prepare? Um, basically, she should know that it's just a means of evaluating the baby and it could be for a variety of reasons, which we discussed earlier, and it's nothing to worry about. Um, and we tell her that we're going to hook you up to these monitors and hopefully our better chair is not too uncomfortable <laughs> for her because it's a good 20 minutes okay. and the babies can be little stinkers <laughs> and hard to find, especially the younger gestational ages. They're, they're kind of, they can, I always say they can skitter around more and have more room in there to hide from you. <laughs> um, and if a woman's um, got a little extra weight on her belly, that can make it harder to monitor the baby. So, you know, we, we have to tell people, you know, we're trying to make you comfortable, um, but we may have to shift the monitor. Sometimes the physician or midwife has to come in and help readjust the monitor. Mm-hmm. Um, and that she'll be on the table, try to get her in a comfortable position. You know, uh, traditionally we like women to lay on their left side for best results. Um, it keeps the blood flow um, best to the baby and the mom. Okay. Um, so she is, she'll be laying down then? She'll be the usually in a recliner recline. okay. or lying on a bed that's, okay. you know, we don't want to put moms flat. Right. So I think everybody kind of knows that. We don't let you lay flat after 20 weeks of pregnancy. Um, and that she's just got to rest and... Uh, Usually she's got another kid running around with her oftentimes, <laughs> I should say that. So we, my new office, I'm going to try to keep the kids happy and uh, the moms happy and keep people comfortable. Oh, that's and so hard. I remember having to really take my toddler. stress <laughs> test, too. It is. Seriously. Sit down. <laughs> yeah. Don't touch them. Yeah, yeah. And there's various, you know, some people, one question is, oh, should I have sugar to make my baby move more? Or right, do you need to drink more, eat more, anything like that? I mean, certainly the babies have their normal sleep cycles and we may or may not be able to wake them out of them truly. Um, uh, usually we'll give our moms a cold glass of water if the baby seems to be sleeping uh, and um, there's no really good studies to show that the sugar or the cold glass of water. There is a, um, you can do an acousto, acoustic vibration stim, stimulation to the baby. There's machines for that. Okay. Honestly, I sometimes tell the mom, just poke that baby around. See if, <laughs> see if you know, see if it's, if it's asleep and you can wake it up, you know. Again, there's no studies for that one. But it works. <laughs> it works sometimes. You just kind of, kind of zhuzh them awake. And like you were saying about specific times for testings, I don't give my patients a specific time, but I usually do like to know. Moms will know, especially the ones that come regularly, when their baby's sleeping. So we try not to schedule when we know every time that baby's going to be sleeping when they come. Okay. So. Just for best results. But yeah, so basically plan 20, 30 minutes on a table, maybe a little longer depending on how stinky the baby's being that day. 
Um, and that it may be followed up with something like an ultrasound to further evaluate like a biophysical profile. That was always part of the process for me. In fact, it always started with an ultrasound where they looked at the amniotic fluid. And it was especially, you know, when I had it with my twins, the couple appointments that I did have, they were always looking at making sure everything was looking good and I wasn't going into preterm labor, all that good stuff. Um, But yeah, that was always part of it. And they usually set me in a specific area for that. And then I usually had to move to another bed where they actually hooked up the you know straps and did that and I, and the other thing I have to say is that ice helps a lot too you mentioned the cold water for some reason externally you mean oh or? yeah well not like for me to ingest like to oh, okay. wake up the baby yeah, yeah. for some reason uh, my medical care provider has the best ice <laughs> I know that sounds crazy but if I tried to make that ice at home it wouldn't work so that was one of the nice things about going there is, is um getting that ice and usually it did wake up the baby a little bit it's like that sonic crunchy ice like, <laughs> like oh yes it is yes it's I'm pretty sure ice. they just get a delivery from Sonic every morning <laughs> of just ice for women who it's need to wake so up their good. babies. <laughs> and do women ever fall asleep during one? If we give them a comfortable enough chair, maybe. Yeah. I feel like once you're a mom, like particularly if you could get in without your toddler, I could fall asleep at the dentist. I could yeah. it, anywhere you anything just me. becomes a spa experience. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. If you're on your own, yeah, absolutely. especially with ice. Yeah. yeah, yeah, with the good ice and the you know, yeah low lighting. A, g- a good yeah. book, maybe tell mom to bring a good book. Yeah. Or- <laughs> You get 20. Listen to a podcast, maybe? Uh, I don't know. I mean, 30 minutes? (laughs) (laughs) So how are the test results reviewed with mom, and when does she get those results? So usually right at the time of the non-stress test, because we're going to tell her what the results are, and should we do more, or when we're going to repeat it again, if we're going to repeat it again. Okay. So at least there's not a long wait. (laughs) Right, right, right. And you don't have to show them the strip or anything. You can say, okay, it looks good. This is what we see. Or, oh, you know what? Sometimes, you know, this isn't perfect. So this is what we're going to do. Okay. And if they were to need to come back, is it typically within just a few days? Or is it, does it really just depend on If you're doing prolonged monitoring, planned monitoring, it can be anywhere from once a week to twice a week. Okay. Yeah. Um, If it's like, I come in and say my baby's not moving like normally but the rest of the pregnancy has been uncomplicated if the strip looks good that day then we're not going to repeat it unless there's an indication okay so that was going to be my next question so if everything looks good then you just go from there and if something happens later then you just address it it. and it's a classic i'm sure every mom out there has had the story who's who's done this for decreased fetal movement a lot of them will say now the baby's moving (laughs) we put him on the monitor we get the beautiful i always call it the textbooked perfect reactive strip and and they always laugh and they're oh i'm so sorry i said it's good now we know your car's making a noise and you take it in yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) stops making the noise you're gonna get your hair cut it looks great that day (laughs) murphy's law (laughs) and then if so the test shows fetal distress um clearly you mentioned you're going to be you know maybe rescheduling um are there ever any instances where a rescheduled nst or maybe a bio profile isn't enough do you ever have to be more reactive? Or? So basically, it's it's not necessarily the the negative things that happen that the test is good for. It's it's more of a good test if if it looks reactive and it looks good. Okay. What do we do when it doesn't? Well, is right. the question. Yeah. So there's some things that might just require a little bit more monitoring. Not totally distressful, but we don't want to take you off the monitor just yet because of course a baby's inside your belly, swimming around in there, grabbing the umbilical cord every so once in a while, and you might get a heart rate deceleration, and it's just an accident. And we don't monitor moms all the time, so of course we may have some negative things that we see that don't really mean anything. Okay. So what you're looking for is a recurrent pattern pattern of these 
quote unquote bad things. Okay. So you're going to further evaluate with the ultrasound to tell you what to do next and or just send them straight. If you don't really like what it's looking like, but you feel like they're safe enough for transport to the hospital, you'll you'll say, okay, time to drive over to the hospital and sit on this monitor a lot longer in a more comfortable bed. Okay. And then yeah. they would just be in like labor and delivery. Yeah. And then evaluated. Sometimes we'll repeat the biophysical profile. Um technically not in technically you're not supposed to do that unless you have a certain period of time mm. but you know sometimes the baby's just sleeping okay. you just caught him at the wrong time right you need to see it again okay for the panelists do you have any other additional experiences with the tests that you'd want to share did you have to repeat them or did you get some um, comfort from them well i actually time? had kind of what the doctor was talking about in the last scenario where i was 40 plus six with my first and woke up in the middle night thought maybe my water had broken it didn't <laughs> um, but I went to labor and delivery just the same and you know got checked out and just while I happened to be there on the monitors they noticed consistent decelerations and so I actually ended up getting induced the following morning because of those decelerations and and then ultimately I had a cesarean um, because my daughter was very tightly wrapped in her umbilical cord. So, um, you she know, was having too much fun in there. Yeah, but, um, you know, it, it was actually kind of mother's intuition that I just went in that night and, you know, all turned out to be. Which I hear a lot. Yeah. So definitely listen to your mother's intuition. Don't feel silly. Don't feel like you're burdening the staff by going in to right. get checked. Because sometimes it's for good reason. Yeah, I yeah. agree with that. I agree with that. Definitely. And like she said, too, I mean, if nothing else, then you have some reassurance, too. So kind of either way, you're in good, good hands with it. <laughs> Um, there was a non-stress test that I had that I totally forgot about until you had mentioned that, and that was when I was pregnant with the girls. At about 20, 21 weeks, um, I started feeling mild contractions, and I got really concerned about it because I knew the twins weren't viable at that point. And so um, I I think I called um, I called over to the hospital, and I kind of explained the situation. They said, well, just come in. We'll monitor you for a little bit, see how things are going. And they did the same thing. You know, they hooked me up to the monitor and monitored, you know, and, and looked for things for a while. And I was still having contractions, but they were looking at the cervix. They were looking at a bunch of different things to see if I had more signs of this actually being labor. Um, but I was scared to death. I thought, okay, I pushed it too far. And as it turned out, they told me that I was just dehydrated mm. and that I was bringing on some labor um, contractions. But that was that was a thing, kind of a mommy intuition. That was like, I do not feel comfortable with this. I don't, I don't, I'm one of those people that I never really had much Braxton hicks or anything like that until it was go time i really didn't have any signs of labor so when this happened um it was really scary and so that did bring a lot of peace of mind from that and it was my wake-up call and i actually ended up taking much better care of myself because i was like oh i don't want to be in that position again right and and because there can be simple factor you know simple things that you can do to improve the results and improve baby's you know condition but you don't know that until you're in there i know i know yeah well, thank you so much, Dr. Jan Penrose for joining us today. For information about the doctor, as well as information about any of our panelists, visit our episode page on our website. This conversation continues for members of our Preggy Pals Club. After the show, Dr. Penrose is going to be discussing the difference between non-stress tests and biophysical profiles. To join our club, you can visit our website at newmommymedia.com. Hi, Preggy Pals. We have a question for one of our experts. Joan in New York writes, I'm in my third trimester and I have these itchy, reddish, purplish bumps all over my belly. It's driving me nuts. What is this? How can I get some relief? 
Hi, Joan. My name is Ray Kamali. I'm an OBGYN practicing in San Diego. Third trimester rash uh, itching can be caused by a number of ideologies. However, based on your description, you may have a condition called PUPS. PUPS spells P-U-P-P-P-S, and it's the most common specific dermatological condition of pregnancy. It complicates somewhere uh, between 1 in 160 uh, to 1 in 300 pregnancies. It is uh, diagnosed clinically based on characteristic findings on history and physical examination. PUPS typically presents as red bumps within the stretch marks or abdominal folds. This lesion can spread to the extremities, but the face, palms, and soles are usually spared. There's also fairly severe itching associated with this condition. Treatment is supportive to help improve symptoms and may include oatmeal baths, non-sedating oral antihistamines such as Benadryl, and uh, low to mid-potency topical corticosteroids as initial therapy. Early delivery is rarely recommended as this condition does not affect the fetus. There are a number of other conditions that, it, that can threaten the health of the baby, including cholestasis of pregnancy. So it's important to consult um, your prenatal care provider for, uh, for accurate diagnosis. That wraps up our show for today. We appreciate you listening to Preggy Pals. Don't forget to check out our sister shows, Parent Savers for parents with newborns, infants, and toddlers, Twin Talks for parents of multiples, and our show The Boob Group for moms who breastfeed their babies. This is Preggy Pals, your pregnancy, your way. This has been a new mommy media production. The information and material contained in this episode are presented for educational purposes only. Statements and opinions expressed in this episode are not necessarily those of new mommy media and should not be considered facts. While such information and materials are believed to be accurate, it is not intended to replace or substitute for professional medical advice or care and should not be used for diagnosing or treating healthcare problem or disease or prescribing any medication. If you have questions or concerns regarding your physical or mental health or the health of your baby, please seek assistance from a qualified healthcare provider. New Mommy Media is expanding our lineup of shows for new and expecting parents. If you have an idea for a new series, or if you're a business or organization interested in joining our network of shows through a co-branded podcast, visit newmommymedia.com. Hey, mamas. Don't forget to check out Mighty Moms. It's our online community built for new moms just like you. Not only can you connect with other moms, but you can also join us backstage for special mom-only online events. And you'll also be notified when we're recording so you can join us as a special guest. Visit our website, newmommymedia.com, and click on the Mighty Moms banner. It's free. That's newmommymedia.com. See you there.